0: Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, Dr. Jared Moore, senior pastor of Cumberland Homestead's Baptist Church in Crossville, Tennessee, an author, uh, a man who does a podcast, Uh, A guy who has a very strong heart for uh, certain truths of the scripture that may be despised in our time. I admire Jared Moore. I'm thankful for his ministry. He's got a new book out with Ted Turnow and Stephen Burnett called The Pop Culture Parent, helping kids engage their world for Christ. Jared, welcome to City of God.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, I appreciate your ministry, brother, and uh, appreciate you having me on.
0: Well, it's a joy to have you on. Uh, we we have corresponded for a good long while now. I don't think we've uh, I don't think we've had a formal public conversation. So here we go. We're doing it. It's happening right now. Talk to us about the pop culture parent. I understand this book has been a little bit in the works for some time. How did it come about as a project, and what's the what's the goal of of the book?
2: Yeah, we've been working on this uh, I guess for seven or eight years, and um, it originally started where I was writing a book with Stephen on parents engaging pop culture with their children. And, um, you know, Ted tweeted something about how he was writing a book as well. And Steven uh, tweeted him back and said, hey, we're writing something similar. Do you want to race or do you want to uh, join as co-authors of a project? And uh, and so we, we joined and we've written, we wrote probably 500 pages. Um, and we've still got, you know, we actually have genre-specific chapters that we've written about how to engage specific chapters with your children that aren't in this book. Um, but, um, the goal is, uh, you know, I was raised, uh, Southern Baptist and, um, you know, at home, my parents basically engaged, uh, pop culture as fascinating. You know, pop culture was coming on the scene and, um, parents didn't necessarily know how to navigate it. So, you know, I was watching already movies that like, I mean, in a fundamental Christian home, I was watching uh, R-rated movies at like ten years old, mm. and um, and yet at my Southern Baptist church later on, when I was around fourteen or fifteen, we were taught that you couldn't watch R-rated movies, and so I had these dueling realities um, in my life, and uh, and this book kind of kind of tries to avoid the the extremes uh, of the two sides, you know, totally avoid pop culture, and then the other side is just drink it deeply. Mm. And we're trying to say no, engage it in a discerning way, because it's an opportunity to train our children uh, to think uh, in a distinctly Christian manner about the world in which they live. And so it's a it's an untapped resource, not that the pop culture is the resource, but that the Bible brings the scriptures to bear on um, what these idols that pop culture is presenting – And to enjoy all truth where it's found, to enjoy uh, image bearing uh, that still reflects God, even when it's, um, you know, obviously it's grace, common grace mixed with idolatry. And so we're Mm. trying to tease that out and show parents, you know, to guide their children through it so that they can train them to live in this world. I mean, this is the world we live in, and we can either um, train them to live in this world or we can train them to live in a world that doesn't exist. Hmm. And uh, so our goal is to try to you know train children to be ambassadors for Christ in this world
0: so you're a husband, a father, a pastor I- I'm interested to hear in two thousand and twenty uh very strange days in many respects what does this What does this approach look like in your home uh h- How have you wrestled with this in your family in guiding your kids to engage culture? But do so carefully, biblically, morally. What would you say in terms of framing your own practice here?
2: Yeah, we we participate in culture with our children. Uh, we choose not to even let them have televisions in their rooms. Um, you know, our our engagement of culture is very much a family um, emphasis. It's not something that they really. Mm-hmm. Do on their own. Do on their own yet. Um, we're right there with them, participating. They they want to watch a specific movie. We'll check it out and see, you know, considering their consciences and and what they are permitted to see. I mean, we we reject all sexuality and nudity. Uh, basically, any nudity that's not about loving my neighbor um, mm-hmm. is, is forbidden. Uh, and I and I distinguish that because you know my back when I was wrestling with this twenty years ago. You know, I mentioned that to my sister. Um, I was saying, you're not supposed to see anybody nude except your spouse. And she's like, Well, I'm a nurse. I see nude people all the time. Mm. And, uh, and so it it helped me kind of reformulate that it's about loving your neighbor. Cause if you're a parent, you see nude people all the time. They're just young people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they're infants. And, but it's, but it's about loving your neighbor. And so we don't expose them to any sexuality if we can help it. And sometimes commercials get us, but we're like, Turn your head, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, but uh, even sports, right? Even like I, I it used to drive me nuts watching Will of Fortune with my kids, mm-hmm. and, and, and then the commercial is like some, you know, shampoo thing that they shouldn't be watching. Yes. And uh, and so it drove us nuts. But but anyway, so we watch it with them. We encourage them to kind of spot the sin. We we say spot the sin. What is what is good and praiseworthy about this? And then what is the idol? What is really the movie? or TV show, or whatever we're participating in, arguing, and then how is the gospel better than what they're arguing, and so um, I'm trying to do this even more, I mean, you know how busy it is being a pastor, um, theologian, and doing all these things that we're supposed to do, and and then to have time to participate in popular culture with your children, but it's something, even watching football, Mm. you know, I'll watch football with my with my children, um, or watch, uh, NBA. And, uh, especially now you can talk about some of these issues going on and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, how does that line up with the Bible? Does it line up with the Bible? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm staunchly against, um, critical race theory and critical theory and basically all its forms. I think the the Bible offers much better answer uh, because it's God's world and, uh, he has the best answers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It does challenge you, though, uh, doesn't it? It challenges me in watching sports uh, more recently with my kids because here I am wanting to relax and 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 just you know train my son to enjoy sports in an appropriate way and have fun with him at the end of a long day. And here we are. Here I am having to work, man. I'm having to work as a father. I'm having to do worldview conversations. I'm having to take apart movements and talk about how, well, we can affirm this kind of saying, but we don't affirm a broader worldview and, and these sorts of things. And, and that's a challenge to me. And it's I don't think it's ideal, of course, that, that sports get strongly politicized. And yet, Jared, that's exactly the kind of work that we have to do as fathers and mothers. And that's the kind of work specifically that you are saying with your co-authors in The Pop Culture Parent, y- you need to seize. You need to seize that moment. I shouldn't sit there and just Wave a hand at, at at genuine questions that come along and say, "Let's just keep track of the score." I need to actually buckle up, and and in a loving, gracious, truth-driven way, help my son work through this, some of the stuff. Is, is that accurate?
2: Oh, accurate! Absolutely. That's that's what we're doing. I mean whether we like it or not, this is the world that we're in. I mean, this is the mm-hmm. world that we're living in. This is the world our children are growing up in and are they going to be ambassadors for Christ Are are they going to speak light into the darkness? And, um, mm-hmm. and we're, we're, a, I mean, we are besides God, right? We are the central figures in their life that guide them and help prepare them to live again in this world. We're, this book it we're very much uh, arguing not to not for parents to kinda isolate themselves from the world but to be in the world without being of it. Mm. And uh you know, pop culture really provides us an opportunity to engage it with our children to where we can seize moments like that. And um you know, I, I think it's I'm with you, brother. It's uh I enjoy just watching a good game
1: mm-hmm. and
2: uh you know It's it's almost safe pop culture, Mm -hmm. Um, but but if anything, this this worldview emphasis that we're seeing um, has really magnified the reality that even that there's never really been a safe pop culture. You know, there's there's uh, there's worldviews always interjected often, and even even several years ago, I think we mentioned this in the book, or we may have mentioned it in a chapter that didn't make it in the book. Um, But several years ago, Matt Castle. Was injured uh, on the field in a football game, and the fans started booing. Uh, the fans—it was his home field—and the fans started booing. And they interviewed an offensive lineman at the end of the game, and he just tears into the fans. He's like, "This is not the Coliseum. We are men. We are—I mean, he start starts really getting it." He didn't say image-bearing, but that's what he's getting at. Like, mm. we're more valuable than a game and uh and i and that seizing things like that sports really provide us an amazing opportunity you think of like jesse owens and um in nazi germany winning gold medals Mm -hmm. for america Mm. and i mean he couldn't he could back home he couldn't even stay on campus Mm.
1: um
2: because of jim crow law Mm. you know i mean it's just amazing and he reached across you got you've got we've got these amazing um Pictures of him standing and, and hugging Nazis hmm. and uh, it's just uh, a an amazing I think that sports really provide us kind of an an equalizing factor, and not only that, but the news often like did you did you see uh, these wildfires um, these uh these wildfires there were like three hundred people who no one could get to, hmm. and the national guard said, we're going to go in after them. And they, and whoever was over them or someone in authority tried to call them off and they went in, they, zero visibility. They went in and rescued 300 people mm-hmm. using night vision or some kind of crazy vision. But I mean, things like that and sports provided too,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it kind of, all these things that we're arguing over, like racism and all that, that kind of not like nobody's asking what is the race of these national guard people? Mm-hmm or what is the race of these people who were rescued no we're saying we're all saying that these are humans who did a good thing mm-hmm. rescuing people who were in need you, you know what i'm saying like yes. it kind of in sports has a way of kind of breaking down those things too i mean some of the some of the most uh, non segregated places in america mm. uh, was on the sports field
0: yes that's that's very well said yes Amen to that. I I hadn't heard about the National Guard story, but I need to see that. I definitely want to see that. I want to switch tracks now. We could talk at length about these kind of matters, and I'm really thankful for your wise and godly words here, biblical words here. But you've also written previously on the matter of same-sex attraction, the title of your Southern Seminary PhD dissertation is, A Biblical and Historical Appraisal of Concupiscence with Special Attention." To same sex attraction, you completed this successfully in December two thousand nineteen. I believe I was something like an external reader on it, and uh, I, I want to just say, I want to just say in public that uh, not only can you write uh, for the pew, so to speak, for for Christians who you know they're not reading for a seminary class or something like this, but they want to grow in their knowledge of of God. So that's a real skill. You also. Uh, can write and make a real contribution at the scholarly level. And your dissertation, with a particular focus on Augustine's uh, theology uh, of lust, if we can call it that, uh, makes that contribution. Talk to us about your burden behind your Southern Seminary dissertation.
2: Sure, sure. Um, My burden just stems from thinking through Basically, I see Revoice arguing contrary to both the Protestant and even Roman Catholicism in the 1500s, before it got more Pelagian, Mm -hmm. argued that um, original sin is morally culpable sin. It is a transgression against the law of God. And, um, you know, any, I mean, you go back and you read the Westminster Standards, um, you read the Heidelberg, you read the Belgic. Uh, I mean you you even read uh the council of trent um their their documents and they're all arguing that it's morally culpable sin and then uh men like uh Wesley Hill uh and Nate Collins mm-hmm. Matthew Lee, Matthew Lee Anderson um several of these men uh come along and say well wait a second you know it's only only sin if you act on it and and they they lean more towards grounding sin in the will, rather than grounding sin as anything that's in opposition to God. Yes, and I, I was I was concerned with that because of being a pastor, being a teacher, and that kind of infiltrating um, the mentality. Of, because if we lose the battle over over homosexuality, we're going to lose the battle over pedophilia. Mm-hmm. We're going to lose the battle over uh, bestiality, over sadomasochism. Um, we're going to lose the battle over everything because the the sexual revolution doesn't stop
1: mm-hmm.
2: um it continues to you know the law of diminishing returns and um and so this is this is and the p c a is right in the thick of this right now, and July, June, or July of next year will really determine um the future of the Presbyterian Church in America because of this emphasis on revoice Revoice argues that same sex attraction and same sex sexual attraction can be separated from one another. They teach to reject same sex sexual attraction, but same sex attraction, they argue, can be good and holy. And it, it basically boils down to this one simple question Did God design same sex attraction or homosexual orientation? Mm-hmm. That, that's an easy question to answer. Answer is no. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> you know, but. You ask that question of Wesley Hill, Nate Collins, Matthew Lee Anderson, and they flat out can't answer it. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it's very frustrating to me, because this this is—it's a a common-sense thing, because it it can't be both a result of the fall, which—it can't be a result of original sin and be holy.
1: Mm -hmm. That's right. Only
2: Only God's design is holy.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, and we're having this conversation actually on, on a few different fronts here that are all connected. You've referenced them. You think about the orientation question. That's a common move now for folks even in our circles, you've named several names who would do this, to say that orientation is effectively a neutral category. So I may not act on a pedophilic desire, or I may not act on a homosexual desire, or something uh, of, of these natures, uh, but I have the orientation uh, that That would incline toward these things again the the argument today from some is that orientation is a neutral category. We need to be very clear as the church that orientation is not a neutral category there is There is only one status <laughs> that is acceptable in the sight of God, and it is justified by faith. It is to be righteous in Christ uh, by the imputed mm-hmm. righteousness of Jesus Christ. that is the only status. That is the only orientation, if you will, that is acceptable to God. There is no ungodly sexuality uh, that you can extract behavior from and retain uh, a righteous identification with. That That will not work. So it's not just that y- you and I and others are saying same-sex behavior, attra- same-sex sexual behavior is wrong. It is not just that we are saying that uh, same-sex sexual desire is wrong. It is that we are saying that any affiliation or identification with homosexuality in any form is wrong and mm-hmm. must be rejected. And we're we're drawing from a text like First Corinthians six nine through eleven. It's it's not just wrong behavior that the Apostle Paul forecloses in First Corinthians six nine through eleven. It's actually the identification itself, the identity. Do you do you concur? Mm-hmm.
2: Yes yes I agree i mean you're you're hundred percent right, such were some of you
0: yeah and and many people take that passage as if Paul is saying this is the stuff you used to do, but in actual fact, he's saying something much stronger he's He's really mm-hmm. directly addressing these kind of matters he's saying this is what you used to be that's that's actually the closest rendering of the Greek there in first corinthians uh six nine through eleven so, this is what you used to be. This is how you used to identify. Man. So, I, I really appreciate your your brave and really strong scholarly work in your in your dissertation. And my hope is that it will come out in uh, some form uh, in in publication.
2: Hey Amen, brother. I I really appreciate that, and and it's it's really fascinating when you go and you study the history because there there's this big emphasis today on on the great tradition, right, where folks are saying they're going back all the way to the Church Fathers, and Mm -hmm. they're holding up certain teachings, but certain teachings as kind of representative of the entire Christian tradition. Well, what is the entire Christian tradition on the doctrine of sin? And um, go, go back and study that. And it is exactly, I mean, in other words, Revoice cannot say that they are continuing the great Christian tradition Mm -hmm. because they're opposed to both the Protestant and the Roman Catholic views Mm. in the 1500s. The the difference on original sin in the 1500s for Protestants and Roman Catholics was not not what original sin is, which is a transgression against the law of God. It was after someone is baptized. Mm. Roman Catholics were saying that original sin was changed then. And the Protestants were saying, no, it wasn't changed, it's still the same, it's just that it's now imputed to Christ. And so that was the doctrinal difference. It wasn't what it was, it was what it was after baptism. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. That's an important point. That's an important point. Well, the the work in question here is, uh, again, entitled, A Biblical and Historical Appraisal of Concupiscence, which typically means lust with special attention to same-sex attraction. The author is Jared Moore. Uh, This dissertation uh, was overseen uh, by a committee of Mark Coppinger, Bruce Ware, and Ken Magnuson at Southern Seminary just a year ago, all men of iron, uh, good, strong (laughs) men in the faith. And so uh, I commend this work by Jared Moore to you. You can find it online if you Google the title I just gave. And, uh, and again, as I have said here publicly as we wrap up today, it's my hope that uh, an evangelical publisher will see the, the very strong need for this work and bring this out. There are many events shaking down in different denominations, and we need a right understanding of sexual desire, of what is called sexual orientation, and of original sin, as, as Jared has rightly brought out. Jared, thank you for being on the podcast today, and, and thanks for your, your strong work in these areas.
2: Oh, and thank you, brother. I really appreciate your ministry, and stick by the Word, man. Keep doing what you're doing.
0: Amen, brother. Thank you. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center, and we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.